Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more, created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here. And let's get started. Today's conversation is with Whitney Goodman, a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in trauma, couples therapy, and relationship issues. Together, we talk about the benefits of therapy, reasons why one may want to seek therapy, and how we can destigmatize the conversation surrounding therapy. All right, let's hear what she has to say. So I think it's fair to say that uh, when people think about mental health, they definitely think about therapy. I think that's great because talking about therapy, what it is, what it isn't, is it right for you? I think all of those things are critically important conversations to be having. And while I do think therapy is becoming more commonplace, a stigma still exists. And so as a therapist, I want to start off by asking, how can we think about and talk about engaging with therapy so that it becomes just as comfortable as saying you're going to get any other kind of checkup? Yeah. You know, I think one of the simplest ways we can do that is just by talking about it more openly. So especially if you're somebody that's comfortable with going to therapy or has been to therapy, trying to weave it into your daily conversations um, with friends and family can be so helpful and I think makes it a lot less scary. But how would you bring it up? And also on the flip side of that, how do you respond to someone who says, hey, I just went to therapy yesterday or hey, I think I'm going to therapy. So to bring it up, I would bring it up almost like anything else. You know, if you were going to the doctor because you hurt your toe or you're going to go to the dentist, these are things that we talk about in conversation. Um, I find that when somebody is talking about maybe that they've been experiencing anxiety or they've been having trouble with something, that that's a good entry point to say, like, I've dealt with X that was similar and actually went and saw a therapist and it was super helpful. And then you can, maybe the other person will ask questions or even if they respond in a way that is um, abrasive, like if they're like, oh, I would never go to therapy. That's still an entry point where you can say like, oh, well, why? Or I thought that too. And once I went, I realized it was totally different than what I thought it would be like. Um, So just trying to respond in a way that disarms the other person, because I think whenever somebody responds that way, it's because there's a lot of unknown, right? Like they're scared, they're confused, um, or they just don't even know what it would be like. Right. 
I just find personally that there's an intricate balance to be stricken between wanting to be open, potentially wanting to be vulnerable, but then also feeling burdened by having to educate the other person saying, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I think it's good. And so disarming the other person, maybe keeping it short, just saying how it's been helpful for you and then choosing to move on from the conversation. Maybe that that's best just because I, I fear that people feel like they just need to continue to justify their decision. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And there's of course going to be people in your life, right. That just don't get it. They don't have any interest in learning about why you went to therapy, or maybe that burden is going to feel really strong with those people. And those just might not be the people that you talk about this with. And I think you learn that pretty quickly that, you know, there are certain relationships that are better for that than others. You can choose the extent to which you you want to educate or inform and also what you want to share. Some of the stuff we talk about in therapy is deeply personal or even traumatic to discuss with people. And it's okay to keep that to yourself. Right. Of course. I think that maybe a helpful way to also think about making the decision to engage with therapy is similarly to how you wouldn't wait for God forbid, a major health event to go see a doctor. You don't need to have to have something going on in your life that qualifies as a major emotional event in order to go to therapy. Therapy can be maintenance. Therapy can be a check-in, you know, the same way you may go get a facial or the same way you even change the oil in your car after a couple miles so that everything works well. I think, you know, is that a fair way to think about therapy? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of different, um, types of therapy and moments when you might use it. So what you're talking about is looking at therapy from like a preventative health lens, right? Like we're going to go to the dentist and get our teeth cleaned, even if we don't have a cavity and it's going to prevent us from needing those surgeries or like big things down the line. And then there are also people who access therapy at a time when they are in crisis um, or maybe when they're working on a specific problem. And I think all those types have value and we can integrate them into our life in the way that makes sense for us. But I find that the people who have the most success with therapy are also using it in their life, not just when they are in crisis um, or when there's something big going on but when they're using it just day to day to sort of like check the oil, you know, and make sure everything's running good. Therapy is a tool and sometimes it's much more necessary um, in certain situations where somebody's dealing with severe mental health symptoms where they need treatment um, for a diagnosable illness. That's very different than someone who's gone through therapy and is maybe functioning well, but is like, I'm kind of feeling like I'm regressing a little bit here. So I'm going to check in with myself and try to engage with some of the tools that I learned. And the more you practice that, um, the better you can get at recognizing like, okay, this is something I can handle versus this is something that I need to go and see a professional for or work with my therapist on. That makes total sense. I mean, I think for me, 
where I found the most comfort in seeking a professional was when I got to the point that even though I consider myself at least, you know, an intuitive person, an introspective person, an empathetic person, I recognize that professionals have these tools that you may not even think about. And so just thinking of it as someone with tools that you may not even know existed is a, is a helpful way, or at least it was for me. I definitely want to echo that, that I think that's a really good point. It's like, this is somebody who's trained in the tools, the resources that you might need. And there are certain things that we just don't think of, especially when we're stuck or when we're dealing with something big, it's hard to see all the tools around you. Exactly. It's an objective third party person who has your best interest in mind, but can take advantage of the fact that they don't have the emotional burden that you're bearing given your personal experience. So it's someone who's giving you an extra shoulder to lean on. And and again, that was a really helpful way for me to think about it. A common barrier to entry of even thinking of engaging with this is obviously cost. And while there is you know, a spectrum of different resources, and especially now with telehealth and so many companies making it more accessible, something that I've appreciated seeing, but I think is complicated, are the resources available at work or at school? How do you help your clients navigate that? Or how would you advise someone who is not your client to, to seek that help while also feeling safe that their privacy is going to be intact. Because I think there still is that discomfort of, okay, I know there's a school therapist. I know there's someone at work, but I'm afraid that it's going to affect my job. I'm afraid it's going to affect the way my teachers view me. You know, how, how would you advise someone to, to navigate that situation? Yeah, I, I definitely want to validate that concern. I think that is a real big barrier to entry when it comes to therapy. Therapists are um, bound by laws and, and ethical codes that require us to maintain confidentiality unless someone is a threat to themselves or someone else. So only in those situations could you break any type of confidentiality. Now, of course, there are certain jobs. Um, let's say maybe if you are a police officer or you work in the military, um, particularly positions where you would be carrying a firearm, where there might be more disclosure re um, required on the part of the therapist and your job might be more involved in what you do. So a diagnosis, um, particularly a more severe diagnosis, could really impact you. Um, and I think that's something to consider, you know, when you work in those types of positions. Now, if you are getting help at your school, um, like for example, on a college campus, you can be really confident um, that there's no reason, uh, no legal reason why the therapist would have a right to disclose that information. Um, but I have heard some people say like, well, I don't want people to see me walking into the office um, of the clinician at the school. And that makes sense. So in that case, if you wanted to keep that quiet, you may be able to engage in online counseling um, or even see somebody off campus. Okay. So it sounds like 
You can take inventory of the things that make you comfortable, uncomfortable, make a list of the questions you might have in order to ensure your comfort and your safety and feel safe presenting those to the professional and getting those questions answered before you even engage with therapy. That's a great idea. So what therapists have to do when you go to your first session for anybody that hasn't been to therapy is they have to provide informed consent, which is basically just this like little spiel about who they can share their information, your information with, when, what that includes. And so it's absolutely normal and customary to ask those questions in the first session or even on the phone before you meet with them. Oh, okay. Awesome. I think that's really helpful for the people for whom they may not have any experience with therapy. As a professional, do you think there is hope? And I know that sounds kind of austere, but do you see a reality where therapy and engaging with it does become destigmatized? And in order to get there, what do you think we as a society need to do besides just talking about our experiences with it? How how can we normalize it together? Yeah, I do think there's a lot of hope. I, I feel like I've seen a major shift just in the last maybe three to five years now you'll notice there are a ton of therapists on social media. We're talking about it publicly, and that's a really great thing. Some other things that we can do is, you know, we talked about talking about it publicly, going to therapy, um, just talking about your mental health in general, making sure that you don't shame others or discourage them from doing it um, when they talk about theirs. I think trying to prioritize your mental health in the same way that you do your physical health is really important. And just being open about the fact that people struggle, you know, nobody is perfect all the time trying to watch like how you show up in the world. What, what do you show on social media? What are you telling your friends? Like, are you being open about the fact that you have highs and lows can really help us just destigmatize it and feel like mental health is a more common topic of conversation. I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, asking someone, how are you doing today? And actually meaning it or having the time to hear a response is something that kind of, you know, summarizes that where we need to be checking in with each other. We need to be creating a safe space for someone to say, how are they actually doing? Um, and, you know, feeling comfortable that there can be someone again to to share the burden of whatever's going on in that day if it's great great and if it's not so great also great but that we can just talk about it very openly and normally over the last nine to ten months as we've been dealing with this pandemic what have you seen as a professional be the the greatest needs from people coming to seek your support the biggest thing has definitely been people feeling um, isolated, lonely, and I think the issues that they were dealing with prior have been heightened, um, which is very challenging. So, you know, the world didn't stop rotating when COVID happened. So for people who were going through divorces, who had had miscarriages, all these difficult things, you know, they're still dealing with that with now this pandemic on top of that. I've also seen a lot of relational conflict just in regards to how people have been dealing with the pandemic. So people taking more precautions than others, you know, there's been friendships lost over that family issues. And it's, it's really a tough thing 
And on the flip side, I've seen some people who really have thrived um, during this pandemic simply because they haven't had to interact with a lot of the big stressors that may have been in their life. So it, whether it's like seeing a coworker every day or their commute, um, having they get to have more time with their kids or with their spouse. So there have been some people that are like, I'm really enjoying this and their life is, is changing because of that. Definitely. I can see how not being around some daily stressors or triggers can be the positive side of it. But I love the fact that, you know, I mean, obviously I am empathetic to those who are struggling. However, what you said made me realize that what therapy can do is also just give you conversational tools as way as well, ways to express yourself, ways to navigate those tricky dynamics that can be brought about by uh, a heightened political atmosphere, a heightened economic atmosphere. Um, it helps you learn how to express yourself, how to deal with people who may be um, you know, in a different perspective. And I think that's something that, that people should be reminded of that, you know, it's not the, oh, just, you know, how do you feel about that type of stereotype that we all hear therapy is, but rather it's, I have this situation, give me the tools, whether they be for me personally, or how to deal with someone else that is, is so vitally important. How though, because a lot of companies, especially now that we're taking time working from home, are saying, you know, if you need a break, if you need to take space, if you need to take time for yourself, please don't hesitate to ask. But I think that's easier said than done, because, again, I think there's also a stigma attached to that. It's like the unlimited vacation days like that sounds great. But someone who takes more than, you know, two weeks, they're kind of going to get weird looks. So how do you empower someone to actually get the courage to say, I do need a break and not to have to make up some excuse that, you know, you're going to get a COVID test. Like I know my friend who needed a mental health break, she said, I'm just going to say that because that's the easiest thing to do. How can we actually help someone say, I do need a mental health break. I can be okay tomorrow. That's for tomorrow to decide. But right now, I, I do need some space. How how can we make that conversation more comfortable? Yeah, you're right that there's definitely a lot of companies, I think, that pay like lip service to that. Well, you know, we're here for you. We'll do these things, but they're not actually following through on it. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of this is about setting the limit, saying I need a break and not reacting to how the other person responds. So if you have a boss that is going to react negatively to that, they're going to push back, you can sort of take inventory and say, okay, do I get my work done? Am I always on time? Am I meeting my deadlines? And if you see that you really are a performing asset at your job, but this person is still reacting negatively towards you when you need a mental health day, the challenge is really about like letting that be their stuff and you taking your day um, because not everybody is going to respond correctly, especially if you have people in the workplace that would never take a mental health day themselves um, that they might be projecting onto you or feeling as if that's not something that should be allowed. It's very challenging and it requires a lot of practice um, and boundaries, I think, to be able to set that limit with yourself. 
Right. And also it's, it's kind of courageous too. Like you have to acknowledge that you need that time, feel comfortable and have the courage to claim that time and recognize that whatever pushback you get on the other end, like you said, it's their issue, not yours, but you need to prioritize taking care of yourself. And if that's part of your self-care, then go for it, especially if you've been given license to do so by your job, by your company, take it, but don't abuse it, but definitely take it. I know for me, in the basic sciences, unfortunately, taking that time was kind of seen as a weakness. And that really impacted me because there would be moments when I did need that space where I did need that separation from my work. But even admitting that meant that perhaps I couldn't handle it, especially being a woman in that space, there came, you know, an additional amount of baggage to to asking for that for that time for myself. So I completely understand how it's difficult I think part of the conversation of destigmatizing is trying our hardest to overcome that discomfort and, and continuing to claim that space. I want to hear from you, though. What are some of the reasons why one would seek therapy or one should seek therapy? Just I ask this just for someone who may be listening to find something that they could relate with, like, oh, yeah, I also go through that, or I found that, oh, I didn't realize therapy would be good for that. What would be some like big topics or, or reasons why someone should go seek therapy? Yeah. So I want to preface this with that. Really, the, the biggest reason to seek therapy is because you want to, and because there is something in your life that you're finding is holding you back, um, that you possibly want to work on to understand better or to change. But some of the biggest like reasons that somebody might be experiencing in their own life that would bring them to call a therapist would be like anxiety, feeling like they can't sleep at night, um, having trouble getting out of bed, racing thoughts, you know, all of these types of symptoms that make it really hard to navigate daily life, relationship issues we talked about. And that can be with coworkers, um, romantic relationships, friendships, like therapy can be so helpful with all of those things. And then also things from your past. So maybe wanting to reconcile things from childhood or a past relationship or a family issue um, can all be helpful. But at the end of the day, therapy is a space for you to work with somebody else who has a I think what could be probably one of the most unbiased, but not fully unbiased perspectives of your life. And it forces you to be accountable um, and to have that space to work on it on your calendar. And there's no perfect timing to engage with therapy, right? Like you can start at any time, even if these are issues from a million years ago or something you've been dealing with for a while, but you've put off seeking help, you can always start. Someone is there to help you at whatever point of entry, right? Yes, absolutely. So there's definitely no um, time limit on when you can seek therapy. I, of course, recommend seeking it, you know, before symptoms get too debilitating, but there's no too late. You know, there's always help that can happen. Do you think there's a, an age limit to therapy? Is there an age that's, you know, too young besides the obvious of maybe not being able to speak, but uh, right. do you, is there, is there an age limit to therapy? Cause I know maybe some parents might be a little hesitant to say, oh, my, my kid needs therapy or I'm putting my kid in therapy. 
No, you know, there are a lot of different types of therapy. And so there's play therapy, maybe for kids who are not totally verbal, or that's not their number one form of communication. There's also therapists that specialize in infant mental health and there's parent um, training. So therapy where you would mostly work with the parent, but also the child. And I've worked with clients up to when they're dealing with death and dying, you know, in their eighties, nineties. So I really think it can be effective across the lifespan. It's more about the type of therapist and the type of therapy that you're using and making sure that that is the right fit for your issue and who you are as a person. And this may sound like a simple follow-up, but where do you recommend someone going to find a therapist? Like how, how does one start the process? Because now there's an overwhelming amount of resources. You can turn to Instagram, you can turn to Yelp even, but do you recommend having someone that you know goes to therapy and seeing if they like their therapist or, or what, how, how can someone begin the process if they've never done this before? Great question. So what you just mentioned about asking somebody that, you know, if you know someone and you trust them and you think that you might like the same type of therapist, absolutely great to ask them and get some names. And then you can research from there on your own. Um, most therapists now have websites most of them are listed on Google. So where I usually like to start um, is either on Google. So if you're in Miami, let's say you would type in Miami therapist and you can even then add whatever you're dealing with. So Miami couples therapist, um, Miami chronic illness therapist, and that will help kind of weed people out. You can also go on psychology today, which I think is where most um, therapists are listed and they have a lot of different boxes that you can check off to kind of filter people in and out. If you'd like to use your insurance, I think the best thing to do is just go directly to your insurance provider because they keep a list of all the people in your area that are on their panel. And it's just a much quicker way to do it than going on the internet. And then once you find some people that you like, it's always good to look deeper, see if they have social media, look at their blog articles, their website. And then the next step would be to set up a consult call. So I offer these for free. I think most therapists do. Typically someone would reach out to me via email and say, Hey, I'm looking for a therapist. We would set up a quick 15 minute call. And that's how they would be able to get to know me. It's okay to interview a couple of therapists. It can feel like dating the first person that you talk to, or even say yes to them on the spot. It's totally normal to say like, can I think about it and get back to you? You can also meet with different therapists to get a feel for them. Um, if you have the financial resources to do so, and that can be helpful sometimes to have a first session and really see if you'd like to continue with them. You laid out a really clear picture and I don't think people would ever think of like a, a speed dating type of dynamic with therapists, but that sounds actually super useful because this is someone that you're hopefully, you know, opening up to wholeheartedly and someone that you need to feel safe with and someone you need to feel connected to because something else that I think maybe people don't realize is there's all different kinds of therapeutic techniques. There's all different types of specialties. And so there needs to be someone who really understands you and who meets you where you are and wherever you're comfortable. And there is that person, but it may take time. And so it's okay to take that time for yourself to find that perfect person. So 
to wrap up, I like to ask everyone. So I'd like to ask you, for you, what is mental health? Mental health for me is taking care of all of the aspects of you that make you who you are. So taking care of your relationships, um, even how you're moving your body, what you're listening to, what you're reading, like just making sure that what you're doing is in line with your values and your goals and what you want for your life. I agree. I think that has taken me a long time to, to come to terms with that. You know, you have to sit with yourself, have a list of those values and make sure that that's what permeates all aspects of your life. So I appreciate you saying that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your expertise and, and thank you for really clearly and succinctly helping to, to destigmatize this conversation. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Whitney. If you'd like to learn more about her or her practice, you can find links included in the description box of this podcast episode. All right, until next time.